What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for two ninety nine subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold-cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just two ninety nine each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Uh, today, we're doing part two with S.C. Moadi. When people receive that sort of, you know, pure generosity, they, they generally want to give back and, and they give back a lot. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. She's a venture capitalist, best-selling author, former Facebook executive, Stanford lecturer, and overall interesting person. Um, SC, when we left off yesterday, we were talking about uh, the, the discipline of writing and the experience and the discoveries. Um, and this, this goal that so many authors have of becoming a best-selling author, um, what would be your primary advice for those who um, maybe they've got the book written or they're thinking about what they're going to write, but they need to think about the rest of the, the business of books? Yes, that's a great question. Um, the The business of books is a is a tough one. Uh, I'm sure that's no surprise to your listeners. Um, and most people will have a couple of ways that they make money out of writing books. One is they consult with uh, companies, sometimes with people, although this is um, a harder route. Um, two is they they give talks and keynotes and speeches. Um, and and uh, that's um, a pretty competitive route. And then three, they use that to promote their own existing business, whether it's a marketing agency or um, some some other um, product development agency. I'm just giving examples off the top of my head related to to technology. Um, so these are some of the avenues to make money from writing books. Um, I would say my advice is. Think of your book as a very smart business card more than as a way to to earn a living. Yes, you may get lucky, just like you may get lucky and, you know, become the founder of Facebook, um, but that's, or win the lottery, but that's about as uh, as hard as it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, we, we've had some pro athletes on the show. I think that's probably similar odds. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, w- I was... Uh, Really interested, um, you know, when, when your PR firm reached out and talked about, um, you know, you potentially being a good fit for the show, it wasn't hard for me to see that at all. Um, 
I'm such a fan of the guys at Singularity University, you know, Peter Diamantis and Ray Kurzweil and these folks. And one of the things that I, I'm kind of fascinated about is this idea of technology almost augmenting humanity. And, and the other side is, you know, from a marketing perspective, you know, it's not enough to have a good product. You have to, you have to attract people to want it from you. I'm interested in your thoughts specifically for, for mobile as a trigger in habit building. Go ahead. Interesting. Yes, yes. Uh, You know, I think that um, our mobile products are extensions of ourselves. And that's probably the biggest learning for me over the past 10, 12 years building mobile products. And so I would say that um, when you think of your mobile product, you have to think of yourself. And so if you want to make a change in your life or if you want to uh, build some habits, uh, how do you do that for yourself uh, it is exactly the way you're going to do that um, with your mobile products. I'll give you a couple of examples. There's um, a, a, a science. Actually, the, the guy who um, wrote the forward to my book talks about how you form habits. And he says, you know, there's a kind of a science to it, which starts with um, you building like an internal or an external trigger to remember to do something. Well, you know, your mobile products are pretty much um, your internal triggers. Now you can set reminders, you can use several um, apps, you can use services. Just when you're in context, they're always here for you. So you don't even almost need to remember to do something. They will remind you um, to, to create good habits in your, in your life. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of press of the negatives of mobile and the way it's intruded into families and the, you know, the impersonalness sometimes of sitting in a room where everyone's texting someone who's not in that room. And I feel like there's almost like an, a lack of balance um, in what the press covers as far as, you know, those, the two sides of the coin of, you know, the way that these devices can be interruptive. Um, they can also be so beneficial um, when you've got such a powerful, you've got such a powerful computer that is so um, portable, but it's also the network effect of every, you know, the pe- the other people in your life that you care about and that care about you also have this similar assistance, you know, if, if you guys are involved in products together. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, there's a lot of uh, articles right now and around, you know, mobile uh, disconnects us from from people around us. Um, I, you know, I, I um, talk a little bit about that in my book. The research is really divided. There's a lot of research that says that people who are uh, spending more time on their mobile devices are actually more connected to others. So it's almost like a, you know, a positive energy uh, as opposed to a zero-sum game like one versus the other. I'm of the mind that, um, you know, I'm a positivist, so that technology uh, and mobile technology is is good for us and is making us smarter and more connected. And back to your earlier point, it, it really augments us. Yeah. When you, when you think about your study of mobile, um, so many of us maybe have goals of achievement, especially people who are choosing to be entrepreneurs or choosing to take an innovation role in the company they're in. Um what advice do you have for achieving the next level of mastery at, at whatever pursuit someone's pursuing? 
Yeah, that's a really cool question. Um, I will say, um, you know, to advance your knowledge of mobile, you want to follow influencers, read a lot of books and sort of generally educate yourself. And that's sort of level one, if you want. That's like I'm consuming information so that I can become proficient. Then there's um, a level two. (laughs) And, And of course, you know, all of that is a lot of gray areas. But level two is okay, now that I've consumed information, I have some critical sense for what's good versus, you know, not as interesting on mobile. And so you might want to become a uh, a repeater if you want. So follow interesting people, but not just follow them. Also let your um, people in your network know about, you know, the good articles or the good quotes or the new technologies that you find interesting which slowly, little, you know, step-by-step positions you as a thought leader. And then the third step is uh, you becoming a, a thought leader um, and writing uh, or speaking about your own views on mobile. Kind of like synthesizing and, synthesizing and adding your own? Yes, exactly. Bringing, so bringing, bringing your own perspective. So you're going from basically a learner to an expert to then a thought leader who takes a stand. Yeah. Um, And I'm interested in some of those stands that you've decided to take. Um, What are things that you feel like people who maybe haven't paid the price to spend that time as a repeater and to, to synthesize their own work? What are some of the things that maybe some of the myths that you feel like are out there where because you've spent the years studying it, you feel like maybe it's a, it's a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think generally speaking, there's one one big um, uh, concern that mobile is is complicated. It's very technical. It's very difficult to understand, and that I that's uh, something I want to bust. I think uh, it's much easier than we think, and it goes back to my my thesis that uh, the best mobile products are extensions of ourselves. So. Uh, we have to sort of forget all the clutters and all the um, layers of complexity and just think about like what we as people want to get when we're out and about in context, when we're not hiding behind an avatar. Um, so it's a, it's a lot easier than, than we think. That's a message that I give to a lot of tech folks because they tend to um, sort of hide behind science and algorithms and formula <laughs> and and uh, and of course that's super important right i'm an engineer myself i i can't deny that this is a, a massive part of mobile but the human emotional element is also really important yeah you know for us uh, one of the things that we're really interested in doing is building at ideation collective you know in addition to the shows we want to build classes for entrepreneurs kind of like a, a lynda.com or a plural site but specifically for for innovators and entrepreneurs, but then give it away for free, like Khan Academy. Um, awesome. Someone like us um, who, you know, our mobile just is, you know, we've got a responsive website. We, we don't have our own app. We don't have these things. As you think about somebody in our position where we recognize mobile is a, a huge amplifier if, if we can get there, um, what, what kind of advice would you have somebody in our position who they recognize the value of it, but they haven't taken the plunge yet? Yes. Um, so you mean like what kind of offering would you give to your audience that would be a mobile offering? 
Yeah. Like if we wanted to bring this, this instruction and, you know, maybe we want to bring like, you know, the video of alinda.com, but the gamification of a Duolingo, you know, um, and make, make it, uh, we want it to be this, this progression, this conquering ourselves and achieving levels of mastery specifically in business building. And we want to do this in a mobile way. Are there, are there consultants you'd recommend for us? Are there books besides your own you'd recommend for us? Is there, would you, would you talk to developers first or would you talk to designers first? Or just when you think about a roadmap, what, what are thoughts for somebody who wants to eat the elephant one bite at a time instead of be overwhelmed by it all? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, many authors um, have reached out to me and asked about how can I make my body of knowledge more mobile friendly? Um, my generic answer is um, you want to think of mobile as a, a new culture, a new way to consume knowledge. And so I encourage them to look at uh, companion services, like a companion app, for example, that will um, stay with the reader after they read the book um, of that author. And maybe for 30 days, give people like daily tips or uh, allow them to journal about what they've learned. And we know from research that this is a, a much more effective way for people to retain the knowledge that they um, absorb. So that would be like a, a first recommendation. Then another recommendation is also to uh, leverage the uh, connectedness of mobile and create um, peer groups for learning, especially, you know, you're mentioning Khan Academy and, and other um, learning platforms. I think that... Um, Learning from your peers is one of the most effective ways to learn and keep your knowledge very current. So I would encourage you to look into that. And then, you know, happy to have a more in-depth conversation about this with you if you'd like. One of the areas that I think is um, is uh, greatly undervalued right now on mobile is personalization. So if you go look at any service it will, you know, look good. It will have some um, sort of personalization feature, but um, I think there's a lot more opportunities to go in depth into that. And learning is a is a great um, industry to uh, or a great segment to dive into it. Um, when it comes to that deep personalization, I mean, as soon as you're saying that, I'm like, I feel like I've got fireworks going off of like, yeah, no kidding. That, that that's a great idea. Who do you feel like out there is doing that well already? Is there anybody you'd point to as some of the leaders in personalization? Um, not really, actually. I, you know, I, I often say, like a question I get all the time is, which of these three rules of yours is the one that you think is the most important? The, the body rule, right? Every mobile product needs to be beautiful. The spirit rule, uh, mobile products need to be meaningful. And then the third one, the mind rule, mobile products need to keep learning with us. What I answer usually is the, um, the second one, the spirit rule, is the one where we have the least experience with and the least track record of companies doing this well. Why? Because personalization is completely new to mobile. It didn't exist before. It didn't exist on mm -hmm. computers. It didn't exist on advertising billboards. It didn't exist on television. And so we're really barely just learning that we can personalize using someone's real identity 
as opposed to, you know, an avatar on a computer or a persona on a television or on a billboard. And then so real identity and then context as opposed to, you know, a computer screen or a TV screen or a billboard. You know, um, I see that in such a small way. My my kids, I've got four kids and on the Congrats. Xbox, <laughs> yeah, on the Xbox in the living room, they are really happy to spend time even personalizing an avatar, right? And I'm thinking like, why bother? Let's just get to the game. But yet you look at um, the time people spend um, kind of curating their Facebook page. And, you know, we are more and more evolving to um, wanting our, our digital life to represent us and to feel like part of our regular life, it seems like. Yeah, technology is a lot less scary than it used to be because it's becoming an extension of ourselves. Yeah. Um, thinking about this space in general, I think, you know, more and more of especially the business community, but society in general has realized, you know, this is the future. This is where we're going. Um, who are some of the influencers that you follow or, or who do you think are some of the, the thought leaders worth, worth uh, following out there today? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, I have so many uh, mentors or people that I respect. Um, I, I, um, I will name a couple, but I also want to point people to a place where they can find all of them. Please. Um, the first person I'll mention is um, Chris Anderson, a guy who is a New York Times bestseller of The Long Tail, a book that got published about uh, 10, 15 years ago, and also best-selling author of Makers, a book that got published a couple of years ago on the maker revolution and 3D printing and stuff like that. And Chris has been super influential for me. Uh, he also kindly endorsed my book. <laughs> Another um, thinker that I have tremendous respect for is Geoffrey Moore, guy who wrote Crossing the Chasm, which is a book that I've read about three or four times mm -hmm. um, about how to create successful technology businesses. And then um, pretty much everybody that I find interesting or influential or relevant, I either interview on one of our podcasts or invite to give a, a talk here in San Francisco. We have a speaker series that um, gathers about 300 people every month. So um, to find these uh, recordings, either like audio interviews or video recordings, you can go to uh, our website, www.productsthatcount.com. You know, that really brings another subject that I wanted to talk about. Um, this value of connectedness, um, when you think about what you've done, whether it's being interviewed or interviewing others, um, it seems like something that that you and I kind of share uh, share value for. What what do you feel like is so powerful about interviews? I think that interviews become conversations, and then um, you you basically add your contribution to the zeitgeist, and it's sort of a big grandiose way to say it. But but I really mean it. I feel like by interviewing a lot of interesting people or sharing my perspective on um, podcasts like yours, I get to say like, hey, I was part of this, you know, group of people that populated the planet at, at a given time. And this is what we thought was important. 
and and that's really um that's really what what you know my life is about i i, I love that feeling that yes i i can take stands on things and and form opinions and learn from others not just be um a passerby yeah and um for anybody who didn't get some of these links they'll be on on sc's page on icollective.co We'll have links to products that count and also her website, scmoadi.com, and, uh, you know, Amazon links to the book, um, stuff like this. Um, another question I had is, I, I'm interested in your perspective. I feel like there is just a, a tidal wave of information about time efficiency and, um, you know, saying no to things and focusing on what you're supposed to focus on. And I feel like one of the things that's gotten lost in there is but I feel like of like the competitive advantage of generosity. And I think about the time that you spend being willing to be a public speaker, being willing to be on podcasts like this. Um, my guess is, and, and feel free to correct me that there's some, like that you see some sort of value in, in being willing to share your time like this. Yeah, that's super insightful. Actually, like generosity is one of my very, very top core values uh, my fiance and I talk about it all the time. We say like, "What what are we gonna do as a as a family to uh, to express our generosity?" So, great catch, great catch. And I, I'd love to talk more about this. I feel like, and and tell me your thoughts if they're different. But um, for me, I feel like there's such an emphasis on you need to figure out what your goal is and be single-minded in accomplishing your goal and say no to distractions. And, you know, there's so much in this kind of efficiency literature that um, to me is a little bit blind to being willing to let our own agendas yield a little bit to help someone else. And I feel like so many of the great things that have happened in my life have been, I was helping someone not in like a transactional way, but you know, they were there and you could tell they were in need and they needed a speaker for this event or they just needed some advice about their business. And, you know, it's not people who are paying me or anything, but those have started friendships that lasted decades and, and also turned into some of my best business opportunities and things like this. Do you, have you had similar experiences or do you feel differently about that? I, I totally agree. And I, I think there's an element of surprise um, that comes from people who do what you just described. It's like, wow, this person did something for me out of selflessness, i.e. generosity, right? There, there was no self-interest motivation in, in you know, the help that uh, someone got. And so um, when people receive that sort of, you know, pure generosity, they, they generally want to give back and, and they give back a lot. Uh, there's some research around that. Uh, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but uh, there's some research on this. Now, the, on your point about like, are we becoming too focused? I completely agree. And, and it goes back to sort of how do we relate to the world uh, and to our technology? We tend to see technology and more and more, we tend to see the world as a scientific experience. Uh, or at least that's, you know, the Silicon Valley lens that I, that I put <laughs> on the world right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we are forgetting a lot of the serendipity and um, <laughs> creativity and, and emotional aspects that all of us are here to enjoy. So I couldn't agree more with you. <laughs> do, you know, uh, do you know the Stephen Johnson book, Where Good Ideas Come From? Or have you seen his TED Talks or anything? Not yet. No, I'm going to write it down. I'm such a fan. It's actually one of the 
it's one of the things that actually started this whole business was um was him just talking about you know how much of the progress from the enlightenment was because this guy who had been working for months or years on this happened to be at the coffee house with this other guy and he met the other half of his idea and then it finally came together and um and this idea of like he calls it a liquid network where people they go on their own to work on ideas but they're constantly mixing and these novel combinations come together that end up changing the world and um it's it's kind of that guy plus um I know you're a, a Stanford you know graduate school of business MBA and uh I was lucky enough to take an entrepreneur class um for the for the year last year there and um I got to take some of those design thinking classes you know the IDEO guys from the Mm -hmm. D school. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this concept in there of um the radical collaboration where you know basically like you're not going to break up group think by hanging out with the same experts. You need to go get exposed to all sorts of different kinds of experts. That's where you're going to get a spark. Um I felt like it was like it finally gave me my excuse for my like my really random interests, you know? And I was like <laughs> it wasn't just Jess not being focused. It was like, "Hey, listen, Stanford says this is a good idea." So now I can <laughs> I can write on those coattails. I saw that on your website and I loved it. You talk also a lot about um, how ideas come from not one single, you know, kind of genius person, but from a lot of different people. And I think that's in that section of your website. And I, I agree with you a lot on this. So it's really that serendipitous um, aspect of um, discussing and debating and coming up with ideas. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested to talk about Stanford for just a minute. I mean, there was a couple of times last year I called my wife and said, like, do I have to come home? Can't we just can't we just stay here? Mm -hmm. um, what do you think is so special about Stanford? I mean, Harvard has the huge name and the Oxfords and the Cambridges, but there's there's something really special about Stanford, especially in the last number of years. Um, what, what do you think it is? Well, uh, I'll share one of my favorite memories, which is the first time I drove on the Stanford campus. Um, I remember coming from Paris, where I, I grew up in France, landing in uh, San Francisco and feeling like I was on planet Mars, a very different culture, a very different atmosphere. And I thought, yeah, this is planet Mars. I, I just don't belong here. And then I, a friend of mine lent me a really nice convertible car and I drove on the um, uh, palm tree uh, drive, Palm Drive, which is how you get into Stanford. You see this beautiful road with palm trees on the side. And then, um, in, you know, towards the end of the road, the, the main building of Stanford. And I remember, you know, listening to music, the top of, it was sunny, it was gorgeous. It was really a magical experience. And then on my way back to Paris on the plane, I thought, well, that's planet Mars. And that's exactly why I want to go live there. <laughs> and I've been there for over 15 years now. Uh, but I think there's absolutely a magic uh, on the Stanford campus that I've never experienced somewhere else. You know, it's funny you call it planet Mars. I remember being in a class last year and um, they were talking about how, you know, so much business literature these days pays lip service to Failure isn't bad. It's just a learning experience, removing the stigma of failure. He's, and the professor was talking about, listen, it's it's so far here that we have people, sometimes we've had students invent failures they didn't actually have. <laughs> and for me, <laughs> I was like, it's funny, you know, like this is kind of maybe a vulnerable thing for me, but like I look at 
you know, this is business number 12 for me. And it was basically, you know, my stats are kind of like uh, <laughs> 10 of them didn't work. One of them worked really well and one of them worked mediocre, you know? And so that's pretty good. <laughs> well, uh, for me, being able to go to an environment like that and feel like that was okay and I didn't need to make all these justifications for it, um, it was like a really peaceful kind of feeling to. Um, to have people not just pay lip service to there not being a stigma about it, but they, they actually believe that on the inside instead of just saying they believe it. Yeah, it's a very accepting environment. And, you know, I will say that uh, it also has its own rules. Uh, they are a lot less apparent, but it has its own rules. But I, I agree with you. It's a very accepting environment. <laughs> um, well, listen, one of the questions, uh, we're we're going to wrap up here, but one of the questions we'd like to ask everyone is, is there someone early in your career, or early in your life, that you feel like really set an example for how to treat others? Yes, actually, uh, that's a great question. I, I uh, when you started your question, I thought, oh, you're going to ask me about you know my grandfather role model, but your question is how to treat others, and uh, there I will talk about um, another family member, my aunt, whom uh, my book is actually dedicated to, Louise. She um, was, a, for me, the example of that generosity that we were talking about earlier. I spent a few summers at, at her home, and I remember her, you know, cooking for days and inviting friends and family members and people to amazing dinners and people coming away saying, oh, Louise is such a great cook. And uh, to me, that was uh, an example of generosity and openness that um, I've tried to replicate in pretty much everything I do. It's interesting, the long-term effects of someone like that in our life, isn't it? It's amazing. Yes. You know, I've met a lot of smart people and I've, I've been lucky enough to own a couple of companies with, with a couple of different billionaires and um, people that sound really fancy, but yet my, my mom's dad, my grandpa bridge has been like this North star for me through all, you know, meeting movie stars and all sorts of different things um, because of just his like superior connectedness and the way he uh, just so genuinely loved whoever he was with and and cared about them. Um, it's, it's interesting because it's not it doesn't seem as openly celebrated, you know, in the media, but yet asking people so often that's the kind of person they come up with, it seems like. That's that's a great example. And uh, you have four kids, so you probably asked yourself that question many times. Like, How do I set the same example for your kids? I have um, nieces and nephews, and they're now becoming um, a little bit older. They're like five, six years old. So at an age where they're really starting to be receptive to role models. And I keep asking myself, like, can I have the same impact my aunt did on, you know, these little kids? It's been really... Uh, fun process to think through that. <laughs> I bet. Well, we appreciate how much time you've given us today. What, what parting advice would you have for entrepreneurs or innovators out there? I would say um, really like remember that things are easier than they seem. <laughs> uh, technology is, is part of the human experience. And so uh, remember that. And then also in, you know, people who want to uh, change career, grow, evolve, which are often people listening to, to podcasts like yours, um, I would say, uh, you know, embrace the change. Uh, there's a, a stat that I like to use, which is that 
the millennial generation is going to change job 17 times on average. So just be ready for that sea of change and, and keep learning and keep doing what you're, what you're doing, listening to podcasts like yours. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Okay, great. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold-cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.